This is the Canoe Creek Podcast. Our vision is to help people in our community connect to God, grow in Christ, and go serve others. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Road, and our Sunday morning service times are 9 o'clock and 1030. Thank you for tuning in. The titles that I love in that song that we just sang is the title Prince of Peace. You know, whether it's we're talking about peace or we're talking about joy or we're talking about blessed or we're talking about happy, you know, really all of those same terms kind of can bleed together, can run together to, to, this, to bring the same kind of ideas and encouragement in, into our lives. This series that we're going into now, I'm really excited about, and we're going to be dealing with that idea of, of happiness within our life as we talk about this very first part of this sermon series. Very short statements each and every week with very clear, crisp uh, attributes or actions that we are called to follow through on and encouraging us to grow in our faith. That's what this this series is really going to be about. So I want to invite you to go ahead and jump with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 is the very first verse in this sermon series. This is going to be familiar uh, to many of you, but to all of us, it's going to be powerful in the sense that as we apply these things that Jesus calls us to in our life, they can bring about a significant experience of happiness and joy within our life as well. If you don't don't have a Bible, uh, I would invite you to use one of these like this. You can find these on the racks in front of you. And if you're trying to find Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 3, you're going to find that around page 677. Uh, you can use uh, your Bible app. If you use the Bible app, check on the events tab too, and you'll find our sermon notes are in there as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, the, 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 the chapter is the large number. Verses are smaller numbers. You might be trying to get familiar with your Bible for the first time. I want to help give you as much guidance there as we can. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, very simple, very straightforward. You guys ready? Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. A uh, very simple, very straightforward statement, very powerful statement. You know, happiness is a universal desire and, and understanding for every human being. It's interesting, I was just watching, like, I guess you could say it was a mini documentary, it was really more uh, Kelly Slater just sharing his experiences this year in 2019, and if you don't know, Kelly Slater's an 11-time world surfing champion, he is uh, one of the most recognized people within surfing, he's changed the industry in many ways, yeah, he's just you can't even begin to describe what he has done in the sport is beyond anybody's recognition. Uh, you know, just he's got tons of money, tons of opportunity, tons of influence, everything else. Here's what was interesting in this, this sh- what he was sharing. He's basically sharing that he wasn't happy. I mean, that, that was the impression that I got as I watched this video. In fact, uh, somebody who I guess you could say was kind of a life coach to him said, well, you know, how many of your 11 championships would you be willing to give up in order to be satisfied or happy? And he said, well, I know the answer is I should give them all up. And he said, but I'm not willing to give any of them up. You know, I saw somebody who was deeply conflicted, and yet I'm sitting there thinking, here's a guy who every day pretty much all he thinks about is, what am I going to eat today because he's a huge health nut, and that's why he's so successful at his age too, and where am I going to surf today? I'm thinking, if those are my only two worries in the day, I'm good. You know what I mean? And yet the impression I got from him was, 
If he's not ranked number one, which right now he's ranked 13th and among Americans, that means he's in the top two, which means he will, um, I think, make the cut for the 2020 Olympics, the first surfing in the Olympics ever. So all of that's going his way. And yet the impression I got as he shared his experiences this year is he's not happy. You know, and, and this is a universal trait that everybody longs for. As much as we long for food and sleep, you know, happiness is something that everybody longs for. And I know that we can play semantics here and say, well, the, the, the verse said blessed. And that's different than happiness. Well, you know, let's start trying to split hairs on a gnat's back then, okay? Because the concept within our human culture is the idea of feeling happy, of being happy, of having a sense of joy, a sense of peace, a sense of being blessed. And, and here's the thing, here's the struggle that we have in our culture, is what we'll do is we'll jump to the idea that if it makes me happy, it must be right. If it makes me happy, it must be morally acceptable. Now, it's interesting how that, that doesn't work for our toddlers, right? Our little kids. So they're running around and what makes them happy is sticking a knife in a light socket or playing with power tools. And we're like, no, that's not a good idea. But then all of a sudden we become adults and we get this foolish idea, you know, this pervasiveness of culture that juggling chainsaws or sticking knives in light sockets, that's going to make me happy this time. It may not work out last time, but this time it's going to work out. And it's just a foolish idea. It's amazing how to our little ones, we won't apply that principle, but to ourselves, it's like, you know, whatever makes me happy, eh, I don't care if it maybe if burnt me before, or maybe it's a little bit dangerous or whatever it is. It makes me happy, therefore it must be right. Typically, when people make this statement, well, God wants me to be happy, the following action is going to be a travesty. <laughs> it's going to be detrimental. It's going to be bad. All right, but here's the converse of that, the complete opposite of that, the polarization of that. If you've ever been in the church for a little while or you've been around religious people, I guarantee you've probably heard this statement. That is, God is not concerned with your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. Completely unbiblical. I know there's probably some of us in this room that have made that statement before. I think I've even made it before. And as I, I started to really reflect on that and think about that, it is not supported in any form or fashion in the scriptures at all. And yet we, we love our platitudes, right? I mean, these little statements I can make in a minute or, you know, post on Facebook or whatever and list some. It's just, it, it doesn't condition us mentally to know and see the right things. Here's the paradox. Those who claim God wants them to be happy, they're usually wrong. Those who claim God doesn't want them to be happy, they're usually wrong. This is, this is the paradox that we wrestle with, that we struggle with. But I think that as we understand it better, it opens up our hearts in a profound way. Let me say it this way. The irreligious person will assume that happiness leads to holiness. That is, you know, if it's good, it's right. The the religious person will assume that happiness and holiness are opposed. But at the end of the day, here's the reality of it. Holiness and happiness are not mutually inclusive or exclusive of one another. In fact, uh, the, the Bible is extremely clear on this. Just one simple, profound verse on this Psalm 37 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we constantly see other scriptures in in a variety of ways that talk about the desire that God would have for us to experience a blessed life and ultimately a a happy life. The Bible's not shy about this. You know, and it also, uh, the Bible and these scriptures shape how we should view and pursue 
the, the experience of happiness in our life. Simply this, faith in God supports happiness. It's either something we trust and believe or, or we don't. And we're all at that crossroad at some point, that line in the sand at some point. We're like, over here, this is making me happy, therefore it must be right. But God says this, and, it, and they're opposed, and we're standing there at the crossroads going, okay, well, do I go left, do I go right? And we've all been left, and we've all been right at different times in our lives, and we recognize as we get older and grow in our faith, the greater our faith in God grows, the greater our experiences in life are filled with joy and peace and blessed experiences and ultimately happiness, which is what we're seeing and talking about here today. Think about this. I just read the first of nine Beatitudes that are the leading point, the tip of the spear, the introduction to one of the most profound messages or teachings that Jesus ever gives. It's one of the most recorded, most you know, quoted, most preached on, most recognized from the teaching of Jesus. And he began this most critical and essential teaching with nine statements that say, you'll be happy if, you'll be happy if, You'll be happy if nine times. He, God knows that we desire as a human trait to experience a full life and happiness as a part of that fullness. He designed us in that way. Jesus, his son, delivers the most powerful message ever by saying, hey, I know you guys want to be happy. Let me lay it out for you which is a powerful reality. Essentially, as we recognize that, we, we recognize that faith in God supports a happy life. We have to make that decision whether we believe that. It's not just a decision that we make one time. It may be in our very first decision to say, hey, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And then we make decisions daily, choices. Am I going to express faith today in God? Or am I going to just believe that whatever makes me happy in the moment is what's right and what's good? Now, let me spend a little bit more time here. This is a very, there's a very decisive science about this idea of happiness as well. And I think that it's beautiful because God created everything that we see. Uh, anything that is scientific, God created the process, the plan, the idea. He planted it all there. And when we think about this, it's powerful because God created each and every one of us. And the mind that he gave us, he lubricated our mind with three happy chemicals. You ever thought about that? You know, Thanksgiving's coming up. Here's the, here's the reality of this. God pre-injected every single one of us like turkeys. You know, he gave us everything we need to taste good, uh, to savor the moment, to experience life in its fullness. I mean, think about this. You know, you have the chemical oxytocin. There's a pea-sized gland at the back of the brain that secretes little tiny bits of this uh, chemical that it gives us a sense of safety, a sense of trust a sense of comfort when we're shaking somebody's hand or when we're uh, hugging somebody or we're just close to somebody that we care for, we love, and it just it basically gives us this great feeling. Uh, there's dopamine. This is the chemical of adventure. When the human mind is buzzing with activity or creativity, it releases neurotransmitters in the brain. And when you're creating something, you're accomplishing something, or maybe you're learning something amazing for the first time, you know, th- this, is, this is given out to, to in- increase that sense of adventure and ideas and exploration and encouragement about that as well. Then there's serotonin, and this can be considered the feel-good chemical, or it could be considered the chemical of respect. That is when somebody's saying, hey, great job, 
or somebody's praising you or somebody's coming to ask you for your opinion or your influence on something, that sense, that feeling that you get there, it's this chemical that God gave you is releasing and just really building you up. Here's why this is so important. God put all the happy juices that we need in us. See, here's what I basically want to say. God is for your happiness. He's not against it. He's not against us in any way. He's for us in every way. He wants us to experience life. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have a great sense of adventure in life as well, in relationships and the things that we experience and the things that we do. Now, listen, let's keep a couple of things in mind about this. First of all, these chemicals are highly addictive. Now, That's not a bad thing. It's an extremely good thing when you put it into context. God gave them to us. Second thing is the effect of these chemicals are short-lived. So when you put all this together, what we recognize is God did not create us to walk around jacked up on happy juice all the time. He, He intended for us to experience small moments of these pleasurable experiences uh, to to create a repetitious pattern in us, knowing that and if we recognize what it is that brings about the greatest sense of, of blessedness or happiness in our lives, that we would continue to repeat that in such a way. We build a community of people around us that are based in faith in God, and it would grow our character to be like Jesus Christ in the way that we see demonstrated in this text so that we would continue to pursue this desire to be near to God to experience that joy and that happiness and that blessing. It's not just simply for ourselves, but so that other people would experience it as well. Now, one last scientific observation about this as well. There's some really great studies that have been done uh, to basically identify, you know, what is it that leads to our happiness? And, and there's some identifiers that it's genetics, some that it's circumstances, and some that it's choices. So here's the thing, genetics. Uh, everybody has a predisposition to some degree. Some are pessimistic, some are optimistic. Everybody has a different baseline for where they say, okay, there's where I'm happy, right? But the reality of it is, is everybody has a propensity to drive towards happiness. That's just a reality. Now, circumstances, I don't want to talk a lot here about this, but we could, we could identify a lot of great studies that show people with positive experiences and negative experiences and how it really did not change their experience of happiness at all. And in fact, they've identified that this only makes up for about 10% of your happiness, whether or not you're perceived to be happy. And then we come down to choices where they recognize that there's over 40% of the time that choices affect our happiness. So this is about half of the time there's this effect in the choices that we make. So think about this. Genetics can't do anything about that. Trust me, I've tried. The interesting thing is when I was growing up, I always wanted to be shorter and stockier. Now I'm so glad that I'm tall and long. And, you know, but you, you, know, you are what you are. You can't do anything about it, Right? And that's just the reality of it. Circumstances, in most cases, there's not a whole lot we can do about the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But choices, we have absolute, complete control. We have complete control over half of the time whether or not we're experiencing environments and experiences that we perceive to make us happy, blessed, full of joy, simply at peace. Here's the baseline for this series. Jesus gives us this bullet point list of nine ways, nine actions, nine attributes, nine characteristics that if we take in faith and weave them into our life, we will experience a blessed, happy life. And that's a choice that we make. 
It's what we decide to do. We decide whether or not we're going to be poor in spirit as this first beatitude laid out for us. It's a choice. That I can control. That I can do something about. It just depends on whether or not I have faith to believe that it will absolutely bring to my life this sense of happiness that Jesus is saying it will bring. Here's what I'm inviting you to. Now, over the next six weeks, we're going to be studying from this list. And what I want to invite you to do is each and every week, uh, just read that scripture every day, pray over it, and, and ask God to reveal to you and give you clarity about how you can make that action a part of your life that week moving every day forward. And at the end of the six weeks, do just do a review and ask yourself, Am I experiencing a more blessed life, happier experiences right now than I was six weeks ago? That, that's what I'm going to invite you to. And, and so we've addressed this idea of being blessed. There's really only three things in every single one of these beatitudes. is the idea that it's going to bring you happiness. Then there's the attribute or action that Jesus is calling you to. And then there's the connection to this is how people live who are part of a community, a kingdom of God. And so I want to just address that action, poverty of spirit, he mentions there, and kingdom for just a few minutes. Now, when Jesus says this, it's very good news to them. Many of the people who've gathered around to hear Jesus are people of the lowest class, people who have really not a whole lot of things. They're the outcasts, they're the marginalized, they're on the fringes. Those who are of wealth either aren't showing up to listen to him because they really don't care or they're doing it because they want to catch him in something that he's saying and ultimately get him into trouble. So the people who are most prolifically hearing this, that they are absolutely floored by this. They're excited by this. This idea that being poor in spirit is something that is exciting for them because they're already there. Many of these people have, you know, been marginalized in the outcast of society financially. They don't really have much or anything. They've already been prepped for this good news. They're already emptied of themselves. You know, they already recognize that on a daily basis they live, you know, by, by the, the skin on their teeth. They just have enough to get by every day. And to hear this is powerful. And they hear this statement, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's, for them, it's like, finally, something of my own I can have, I can hold, I can be a part of. Because for many of them, they don't have a lot of things that are ultimately their own. But for those of us, who, our minds have been shaped by Western culture, We view this very differently. First of all, this is so upside down to us. Jesus says, you're going to be happy if you're poor. There's not a one of us in this room, if we're being honest, go, oh, that sounds great. It just doesn't work like that. Oh, hey, where's the line? Sign me up. Why? Because we've been so shaped by the culture in which we live to believe that only richness leads to happiness. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, actually you got that all wrong. (laughs) You've got that inverted. And so we really wrestle with this. We struggle with this. Uh, First of all, poverty is not associated with happiness in our culture. It's just not. And, And then secondly, we're not even poor unless we, you know, 
just simply evaluate our poorness or richness based on somebody else within our culture. Well, yeah, you know, so-and-so down the street or up the road or over here or over there is, is, is more than, got more than me, therefore I'm poor. That's how we perceive things. And politically and through media, it's only pressed even more. And we're being told that if you're not a part of this bracket or not a part of these people, then you don't have enough or you should have more or they should give you what they have and so on and so forth. Therefore, you're poor. But the reality of it is for the majority, of us, 99% of us in this nation, we have opportunities. Uh, we have the physical, uh, physical presence of things that we need so readily available compared to the rest of the world. And for us to say, well, you know, I am poor. No, you, no we're not. And, and it really weaves itself into how we perceive ourselves as well and how it builds up our pride. Here's the thing in our culture that's really a truth too. Think about it. We're so much of a do-it-yourself culture anymore. Whether it's books, now it's you know, YouTube videos, I can do it. I can accomplish it. I can achieve it. Achieve it. If I can dream it, I can achieve it. You know? and, and we press ourselves to really build ourselves up, to really fill ourselves up to at this point where it's like, you, know, you can do whatever you dream, which sounds really great on a poster, but it's really horrible when you're standing on a stage on national TV and Simon Cowell's telling you your voice is horrific. But your whole life you've been told, but I, I've been told I'm great. I've been told I can do whatever I want. I've been told I can achieve whatever it is that I want. I've been told to fill myself, fill myself, fill myself with myself for so many years to just do whatever it is that I want and to ultimately achieve it. And there's no way we can say that that does not influence how we come into a relationship with Jesus. I think that we come into a relationship with Jesus with that heavily influencing us to the point that, you know, we say, okay, well, I'm going to be in a relationship with Jesus, which means I've got to move out of my old house. I'm going to move into a new house. But, man, we hitch up the, high, the biggest U-Haul we can, and we take as much stuff with us. But I'm good at this. I'm good at that. I don't need this. I don't need that. I only need Jesus here. I only need your help there. I only want you to do this for me and do that for me. And what it ends up resulting is is a work salvation to where we puff ourselves up, we build ourselves up to say, well, I earned it, I've worked hard, I've done this, I'm good at that. And we're so filled of ourself that we don't have the capacity to be poor in spirit. Our culture is extremely pervasive. It's very, very difficult. Now, listen, let me just share something else about the kingdom. Regardless of our conversion experiences, we're all called to the same content. Let me explain what I mean by that. This is something I've wrestled with for many years. Somebody has an amazing conversion experience. Well, you know, I really knew that God was speaking to me in this way. He was leading me, and so I made this decision. I accepted Christ, and so on and so forth. It's interesting to read stories about many Muslims who are coming to Christ. They're receiving visions and dreams. I can't comprehend that. I don't understand that. But I know that's a big deal in their culture, so God is working in a way in their lives that is culturally, you know, adequate to help them realize and, and experience Jesus and make a step in his direction. Um, and then there's somebody else like myself or maybe yourself is like, ah, well, how did you feel? Well, it was January and I was baptized in a lake in North Florida. It was cold. That's how I felt. Well, did you feel something? Like, no. Is I supposed to feel something? Well, I don't know. And then what we do is, based on some people's conversion experiences, where, oh, this happened, that happened, we make some other people feel like, 
well, I must be broke. <laughs> Something broke in Ross, and it can't be fixed. Not even God can fix it because I don't feel it. And yet we come to this statements of Jesus where it's not about the form, it's about the content. Whether you had some sort of moving experience in your decision to follow Jesus Christ or you didn't, both of you are called to poverty of spirit. Both of you have equal chances at poverty of spirit. Both of you have opportunity at positive, uh, poverty of spirit. Both of you enter into the kingdom of God based on poverty of spirit. It's about the content. Every single one of us in this room, this is what Canoe Creek is all about. We're growing up into our faith so that we can go out and share Jesus Christ with our world. We like to view it as failing forward. None of us are perfect. We all have our problems. We all have our our failures and successes, but we're always trying to identify how is it that I can come more in contact with the character of Christ so that I can share him with my world. And from what he says here, experience a happier life. and, and, And as we recognize that, that's a kingdom character. It is a kingdom character. And Jesus is pointing out a new spirit for a new community with a, way, with a new way of living for a new kingdom. That's what he's pointing out to everybody who decides to follow him and trust him, that we can experience this a profound life. And here's what I think it would be summed up as. Very simplistic. Very simplistic. But not always easy to comprehend and, and meditate on all week long. But if we're full of ourselves, it is impossible to be full of the Spirit. 